Hello, and welcome to episode 233 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for Seance Meeting Acclimates Recalcitrant Tarazi Swiftly. Jeez. Bust out your AT- SAT manuals, everybody. Indeed. Finish the, finish the. My name is Vrediger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, Hello. and your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. Yes. So we once again have no news. Womp womp. So we'll go straight into our comic of the week. Okay. We picked the same one. Yeah, we did. We picked the first issue of one of the new digital first uh, DC series, Swamp Thing New Roots, number mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, this was a fun issue by uh, Mark Russell, and I'm trying to think of who did the art. Well, Liam um, Sharp did the cover. That is true. <laughs> that I remember. <laughs> no, the interior artist was someone who's done some other work. I've, I've seen some of his stuff recently, but I can't remember his name. I think the name is like Italian or something, but... Regardless, um, it was a good issue. It was solid. It, it wasn't quite as as um, didn't work on quite as many levels as we're used to Mark Ru- Russell's stuff working on. But it mm-hmm. was a good, tight story with a satisfying resolution and some cool twists and everything. And yep, yeah, clearly, clearly these um, these digital first titles we're seeing more and more as we read them are really meant to appeal to a broad audience who's mostly familiar with the characters from the TV shows. So, like the Flash one we read. Um, Iris was African-American, and this one, the um, Sunderland Corporation, plays a major role. Um, you know, like, it's very mm-hmm. much like, yep. here's the status quo, as you would recognize it from the TV series. Exactly, you know? yeah. Um, yeah, but it was still, it was very good. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, your quiz this week. Oh. Oh. Because we've been watching a lot of Final <laughs> Fantasy stuff, I'm going to be quizzing you about Chocobo games. Sweet. <laughs> so, I'm going to give you the name of a Chocobo game, and you need to tell me if it's the if it's a real game, real na- blah, real game or not. So it's true okay. or false. Okay. Okay. All right. You ready? Yeah. Number one. Chocobo World. Um, no. No? No. No, that's a real game. It is? Yes. Okay. All right. Chocobo Stallion. What, you're not going to tell me what, it, what Chocobo World is? Oh, I don't know what every single one of these games was. <laughs> okay. That's how it is. Chocobo Stallion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's one, that one's real. Yes, that one's real. Yeah. All right. You, you ride the Chocobo. Chocobo Party. <laughs> I hope that's real, so I'm going to say yes. No, it is not. Aww. Chocobo Underworld. That's so dark. Um, yeah. No. Damn it. Dice the Chocobo. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. It was too weird not to be real. Chocomate. Oh. Yes. Yes. Fun the Chocobo. <laughs> Oh, I really want it to be real, but I think you made it up. Yes, I did. Haha. Chocobo Panic. Oh, no. Um, it's real. Yes, it is. Yes. Sword to Chocobo. <gasps> A sword? Yeah, okay, it's real. No, it's not. Oh, good one. All right, last one. Uh-huh. Professor VJ Chocobo's Fantastic Food Magorium and Great American Steakery. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fake. You that is it. fake, correct. That was great. <laughs> so you got six out of ten. Yes, I did. Good job. Yay. <laughs> so our shows this week, we're planning through this at record time. Um, so our shows this week, we had Flash and Legends were back, mm-hmm. and then we had Harley Quinn and Clone Wars again. Mm-hmm. So Flash this week, um, the big thing was the what? Was it like two days ago? Flash. All I can remember is the Barry Iris stuff. Oh, it was yeah. the the um, black hole trying to kill Joe yep. using um, fake uh, EMP using pulses. Rag, well, on Ragdoll Sorry. and the EMP pulses, yeah. <laughs> it's like delete selective files from your phone without actually affecting the way the, your the, the way phone. your phone's ability to yeah. work. Um, yes, mm-hmm. no, but this was a good one. I think I think 
you know, the show works well when it focuses on the relationships between the characters. So, yeah. you know, the relationship between Joe and pretty much anybody mm-hmm. tend to be some of the strongest ones just because Jesse Martin always really brings his A game. Yeah. Um, the scene at the end where where uh, where Mirror Iris mm-hmm. dumps Barry is, you know, is kind of hard to watch. And you kind of knew it was building to this. Yeah. But it feels like every show... Eventually, I guess Arrow didn't really do it, but I, I think like Lois and Clark did it. Well, Smallville, did it, Smallville on. did it a few times. I just feel like I, I'm kind of tired of the trope of we're together, we're apart. Well, we're together. One we're member apart. of a couple in a superhero show is either replaced by a doppelganger or mind Under control, mind control, yeah, and completely shreds the heart of their significant other. Mm-hmm. You know, like in Smallville, where every time it looked like Lana and Clark was going to get through, get together, he'd be under the influence of Red Kryptonite, and so he'd and become like a bad boy, her, yeah. and she would turn against him. Like that would happen once a season, basically. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of done with this trope. You know, I think Lois and Clark had her replaced by a clone and like slowly poisoned their relationship or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm kind of over that as a trope. But what what I hope, and I was reading an interview with Eric Wallace, who's the the current showrunner, and he was saying how. Um, you know, the this, this season was going to be 22 episodes. It's now going to be 19 because of the shutdown due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, episode 19 was always intended to end on a bit of a cliffhanger. It's just it was going to be a cliffhanger kind of at the end of Act 2 of this arc leading into Act 3. And now it's just going to be a cliffhanger that you have to wait till next season to be resolved. But at least it's not going to be like an ending just like, oh, it's a normal episode ending. At least it's going to be a bit of a cliffhanger. Um, but it would kind of suck if Iris like didn't even get out of the mirror world by the end of this season and that's yeah. just like not resolved. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know, but it was a good episode. Ragdoll is kind of a a unique villain. Yeah. And the stuff with Joe worked really well and, you know, his family caring about him and so on was... It, very was interesting. Stuff. And yeah. there was also a little bit more development in the mirror world where Iris actually is a point of concern because she's getting used to being in that world. She's not getting headaches when she looks at screens. She's able to read in that universe now. So she's able to up her game in terms of research and help. And, and um, she confides in Ava that her husband is the Flash and that maybe he can somehow, if he, they contact him, then he can come save them. Um, I felt like she could have kept that she could have played that a little closer to the chest, you know, like she didn't have to. There was no reason why at this, that particular moment she needed to reveal that right. crucial piece of information. Like, hold on to that if it, until it becomes absolutely necessary. But right. don't just say like, it. Like, I know oh, the flash. By the way, this could still. be helpful eventually. We'll see. Like, <laughs> don't yeah. spill it that easily. But yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I figure after weeks in solitary confinement with one other person, you sort of form a bond. Well, two with other them. people because Camilla's there too, right? I'm sorry? Isn't Camilla there too? She was replaced yeah, by a mirror person. But we didn't see her yet. I guess not. Maybe she's there somewhere. But she's just there like a, somewhere. But and, we, and David Singh has got to be there somewhere too, yep, right? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, I'm glad boy. they didn't. I've been getting a feeling that he was going to like, I thought mm-hmm. they would just make him evil. Like he would be the mole. And maybe he is actually, right? right. The mole inside the department. Yeah, right? he might have been um, replaced for a long because time. Because he was gone. They felt like they kind of wrote him out, wrote him out of the show when they, yeah. when they promoted Joe to his role. And then they brought him back the past couple of episodes. And he's been like... I don't know, just sort of like the scenes between him and Joe where he's like, I don't know, there's this mysterious mole in the department. It's like, it's going to be you, isn't it? Like, it really felt like they were leading it. But I'm glad they didn't turn the character evil because that would just seem... Yeah. Not like we know a lot about him, but that would seem kind of a betrayal of... Right. Of how, how you know... Yeah. How, how that character's always been written. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Legends was another great episode. This one was Zari, not Zari. Yes. I really enjoyed the the scene where the two versions of her meet because it really just shows... First off, what a great... The actress's range. Of, yeah, as if you I didn't know. already get that from... what like, But you watch this version and you're like 
oh yeah, you know, she's kind of self-important and and so on but you know but you kind of because it's been a year you kind yeah. of forget maybe a little bit what the old Zari was right. like but then seeing them side by side it's like wow it's a real difference I know, you know and she plays both so well yeah um all the stuff with with I um, love that no 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 you can't gloss over the fact that it was really cinematography oh crap Cinematog- cinematographically yes um beautifully done I mean they were they were in the same scenes at the same time they were moving the camera movement was precise with having both of them in there that's tricky to do um and <laughs> they might have contacted Edel Crone for for help on that one um but it's just it was really beautifully done I like the set dressing of the universe like where she's in the ring she visited the contents of the ring Edel the Crone is one of Edel the, the one of the fates right <laughs> yes. like one of Charlie's sisters yeah, Edel the Crone exactly. okay because you've got because then there's the maiden yeah and then mm-hmm. there's Edel the Crone, the crone. Yeah, right, yeah exactly <laughs> her name's Edel <laughs> instead of Ethel right right okay because it's an older name I get it Right. <laughs> it's not that hard. You just get Brent Spiner to dress up as there one Zari, and then you lock off the camera, and then he changes his makeup, and he exactly. dresses up as the other Zari. And you know Hilarious. he's been doing that for thirty years now. Yeah, there you go. Um, but the stuff with Charlie was really it was was cool. You know, giving her more development, and we're learning more about you know. And she kind of definitively chooses a side in this one, introducing the new character of her sister, and then learning that the one that's been dealing with, uh, give me Astra. a second, Astra in Hell is also one of the sisters. Yeah, um, I kind of saw that coming. I did. I kind of saw that coming. I knew she had to no, be some godlike being because she was able to manipulate. Then why is she that in time hell? Why would she be in hell? Then? Because that's strategy. Is she just hanging out there. Is she? It's just she's, strategy. She's there I to think manipulate looking, Astra. Yep. Okay, I guess so. Um, yeah, but seeing seeing introducing them, seeing Charlie sort of definitively choose a side. You really felt the stakes too in that battle there. Like Sarah feels like should have died, and there's more going on there. Like why wasn't yeah. she killed? She was exposed um, to the godlike being, and she didn't was, die. Yeah. Constantine was almost why. was almost killed. Yeah. Um, you, you must have enjoyed the little supernatural nods throughout the oh, episode, too. I mean, so the, I the, love that. I love that. The sub-villain um, of the episode was kind of like the supernatural craft services I department, love, right? Like they were coming at our guys and they were wearing like... Yeah. Was, the, well, there was one guy that was like from hair and makeup because he was coming at them with like with a, a hair dryer. dryer yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that uh, Sarah says that Dean Winchester is her hall pass. That's hilarious. I don't know what that means. Do oh, I want to know what that means? In their, in their relationship, at some point, uh, Ava and Sarah have decided discussed who and agreed upon well, okay, who I'm, they would be able to sleep with without penalty okay, by I'm the other. I'm familiar with that concept, but why right. is it called a hall pass? I don't know. It's why, use any like, why use like a, a grade school or high school terminology to describe something I like that? I don't know. I mean, I just figured it out explain, from context. I think there yourself. are multiple. I think there are multiple terms for it. All like, right. Um, everybody gets one and that's mine. I don't know. So, stuff like that. I don't well, know. if she said he's... he's well, no, that would have... It, would, it. it wouldn't have been... If she said he's my one, that would have had a different connotation. Yeah, perhaps. exactly. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, but it was another good episode. Yeah. I think this one, I think they, I think this show got to shoot their whole season. I think that even though it started later than the others, it is a shorter season. Mm -hmm. They only do 16 or 17 as opposed to maybe even 15, as opposed to the other shows, which do 22 or 23. So I think they might have gotten the whole thing in the can. I'm not sure about that. So it might, the other shows might, might end like Flash, Supergirl, Batwoman. They'll probably, they'll run out of episodes in two or three weeks. And Mm -hmm. I think Legends is going to keep going for several weeks past that. Yeah. For the whole season. I could be wrong. I just, I haven't heard anything to the contrary was from the other shows I have. Like, I know right. that they didn't quite finish Supergirl. I know that they had three episodes left to shoot for Flash. Batwoman, I haven't heard, but I assume it would be the same as 
say, Supergirl, since those shows have been kind of airing in lockstep mm-hmm. when one is new, the other one typically is, and they started on the same night, I think, even. So I'm assuming the same is true of that. Although th- that doesn't necessarily mean the production schedules are the same. But Legends, I think, is finished. So hopefully we'll get right. we'll get the whole season of that. Um, Harley Quinn, this one was called Thawing Hearts. This was the Mr. Freeze episode, which surprisingly has Mr. Freeze dying at the end, which yeah. I didn't see coming. Nope. Again, you know, they managed, but the, the way that they managed to... Um, work like Mr. Freeze's relationship with Nora and sort of using it to juxtapose not just Ivy's relationship with Kite Man, but also Harley's relationship with the Joker mm-hmm. and the ways in which, you know, those relationships are to varying degrees on the spectrum of, you know, healthy to, to, to unhealthy. To really unhealthy, you know? yeah. Like the, the, they pack a lot of, you know, of, they pack a of, lot of content like, character into, development yeah. arcs into like one little episode and still mm-hmm. manage to have it have as much humor as it does. It's mm-hmm. it's always really impressive how they manage to, to work all that in there. And the performances are always very good. Mm-hmm. Alfred Molina as Mr. Freeze. Um, really good. It was really good. And what I was, what I guess is his last, his last episode. one. Yeah. He only did two or three, but yeah. No, it was really good. It's great because you could tell in his voice that he had fun doing the fun parts, but he also... Well, this show must be a blast. Oh, my I don't know. God. I'm sure, I'm, sure at least the, <laughs> I'm sure at least the main central cast, like I'm, sh- I'm sure that... That Katie Cuoco and Lake Bell, who does Poison Ivy, must record together because they're the timing the of bouncing, their lines yeah. really sounds like they're in the booth together. The others, I don't know necessarily, but it must still be a blast to record, even if it's only two or three of them instead of like all oh, twelve man. actors. Or I kind of want to look up the behind thing. the scenes on this if there are any. I don't exist. think there has been any oh. so far, unless it's been like an embedded video in some Variety article or something. I haven't it. seen anything <laughs> go by on YouTube or DC Universe or anything. Oh so. man. Mm-hmm. Um, so Clone Wars, mm-hmm. this was the second of the four-part um, Siege of Mandalore arc, The Phantom Apprentice. Mm-hmm. So this one was really great. I mean, we got more. We're, we're, we're now, we're, we're neck deep in Revenge of the Sith. We're about halfway through Revenge of the Sith. Like, mm-hmm. Kenobi is on Utapau. Anakin's been assigned to um, to shadow the Supreme Chancellor. Yeah. Um, Dooku's been killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ahsoka kind of learns all of this in a hologram from Obi-Wan. He's clearly shaken by all this stuff that's yeah. going on. So we're... We're days, if not hours, away from Order 66. And yeah. there is Ahsoka, the lone Jedi, on, uh, surrounded by hundreds of her <laughs> most trusted <laughs> clones uh, with no backup aside from said clones. So if they all turn on her, it's, yeah. it's going to be a bad scene. Of course, we know she makes it out. but And we, we also know that Rex never turned on his um, friends. Well, so he said. But I've been hearing some speculation that, you know, if you really parse his Rex's lines in that Rebels episode, that there might be some room there. Or he might have been kind of lying so because all right you remember that rebels episode like Kanan was like clones we can't trust these guys because his master was killed during order 66 so this might not be the time to say for rex to say oh yeah by the way (laughs) i I just i turned i too turned on one of my closest jedi friends and almost killed her yeah before i was brought to my senses or whatever right so who knows there's some wiggle room there like he he could be an unreliable narrator i wonder if that's true i mean rex versus ahsoka would be the heck heck, not that i mean i think that'd be a pretty short fight but But the scar well he got his he's got his chip taken out eventually maybe we'll even see it happen but that doesn't mean he didn't do some bad stuff first i know i'm I'm looking forward to seeing to seeing what they do there the fights between ahsoka and maul Mm -hmm. were phenomenal i know and they had motion capture ray park came in to do motion capture for maul and they had an actress I'm not sure, motion capture artist, stunt performer, mm-hmm. actress, I'm not sure what she would call herself, come in and do the movements for Ahsoka also. Mm-hmm. And I- both were credited at the end of the episode, although I didn't notice. So every every bit of those two fight scenes were motion captured. And, you know, then the and animators have to go yeah. and do a lot of work. But it wasn't just from scratch by the animators, like it often would be in right. other, another cir- circumstance. And I think you can really tell the difference. Really I think crazy. that I think that they knew this is like, okay, this is probably going to be the final lightsaber duel yeah. of the show. Yeah. 
Because, I mean, I guess Maul could escape. I mean, we know he escapes, but I guess he could escape and fight Ahsoka again in these next two episodes. But I kind of feel like this was it. From now on, it's just going to be like clones and Ahsoka and Mandalorians and stuff. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably see more of Maul, but I'm not sure he's going to throw down with anybody else. So I think this is the final lightsaber duel of the show. And I think that they really wanted to, right? you know, really knock it out of the park. And I think this is, might be like, maybe this would be a fun thing to do for our activity one episode, but like top lightsaber duels. <laughs> yeah. I think this is, this has got to be, I mean, in terms of emotional content, I mean, you got to say probably like Luke versus Vader at the end of Empire or Luke versus Vader at the end of Jedi, maybe. Yeah. Um, but this has got to be me, right, right up there. I mean, certainly yeah. in terms of choreography, it's up there with the best of the prequel fights, which were choreographed and trained to like within an inch of their lives. But yeah. those fights never, because the prequels weren't the most well-written movies, never really had like a ton of emotion behind them. I mean, you yeah. could say like the the Anakin versus Obi-Wan duel at the end of episode three, because was, you kind yeah. of, you're invested in those characters to a certain degree. But um, again, like the-, the That one the, dragged the, on the for flaw, like 15 minutes. And it was like 15 minutes, minutes yeah. This one, they were smart. Like, there was a lot of lightsaber action in the episode, but it was broken up into two or three shorter fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, I th- which I think is smart because, you know, unless, unless they're, like, unrealistically evenly matched. Yep. There's no reason why the fight would last for more than a few minutes, right? And then somebody yep. would eventually get the upper hand or luck would intervene or whatever, and mm-hmm. somebody would, you know what I mean? Somebody would make a pa- Somebody would bad either guess. get away or yeah. somebody would die or somebody would lose, and that's mm-hmm. what happened here. You know, Maul would have died if Ahsoka hadn't saved him. Yeah. So she came out on top at the end there. Yeah, no, it was, it was really cool. And there was some, even some of the other scenes, like some of the scenes with Bo-Katan, like the one where she got, she was stuck under the elevator and yeah. she had to fire her jets to sort yeah. of slow it down. Like that was very Affecting. cinematic also. Yeah, a lot of really great stuff in this one. I think that they're really... And there was no recap at the beginning either. Like, I feel like you could just take out the Lucasfilm Limited Presents mm-hmm. title card that they took from the classic movies and then the red Clone Wars logo mm-hmm. and just air it as a chunk. Yeah, and you would be append like, it to like the a one movie. of the four. Yeah, yeah, it would just be a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. So uh, lastly, in Gundam Corner, so we finished off um, 0080 War in the Pocket. Yep. Um, so we I liked it very much, but oh my watched. God, it put me into tears. It did. Yeah, well, the it's ending. hard to watch a show where there's like kids that are at the at the heart of these. But I was so conflicts. empathizing with that little boy, and he did so much that most people who are grown ups would never even do. Like the the character that he showed at the end, where he decided to be kind and he chose to be just generous and kind, and and having just lost a really good friendship and being in a situation where nobody would believe him even if he told them, um, even if he bothered to confide in other people and being in a position where he could have hurt other people as well and gained revenge in some small way or anything like that. I mean, he just chose not just like the honorable path, but just the best possible, possible path. Like he's a really good little person and to see him cry at the end when the words of the speech um, are being broadcast to all the kids and they're commemorating the end of the war and the people that they lost and nobody really gets it. The kids are like, don't worry, there'll be another war and it'll be even bigger than this one. <laughs> they're right, actually, although yeah. it wasn't as big as this one. The one-year war killed half the human population and the grips conflict probably exponentially fewer. So Yeah. Yeah, they got seven or eight years. Al yeah. will be like in college or whatever when the next war, <laughs> when the next war happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was really good. This is held up as being one of the most... Um, like emotionally yeah. compelling entries in the franchise. I think you would agree at least so far that it's, yeah. it is that, you know, like it, it's really, and I think that, yeah, I think that you, it seems like you, you really enjoy more Gundam that's like shorter stories, smaller scale, you know, like yeah. not so much the big novel length epics, but more like the shorter 
character studies almost. You know? I like both. I mean, I, I can appreciate both. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I read Moby Dick. I understand about a good, long-winded story coming to a conclusion. And, and even some um, some of the uh, tropes in within the Gundam universe, I'll say, are sort of repetitive. But that's the point, because people don't learn from history. And there are always going to be conflicts with... I don't know, right and wrong in smaller degrees and shades of gray and and motives that are part right, part wrong. And where do you where do you draw the line? What ethics do you choose? Like that sort of human story is going to be continuing forever, no matter how we evolve. And I think that's an interesting thing to follow. It's just that sometimes you just want a lighter bit of story. And this one had so many light moments with kids um, being amazingly innocent and bright and open to the everything and open to the world and kind and honest. Well, you and need that. I think you that's, need that. I think that that's one of the reasons why it, why it works so well. I think that if you do like Zeta did, where it's kind of like dark and dramatic all the time with all very time, few moments yeah. of humor mm-hmm. when someone does die you're like oh well yeah that yeah was that bad figures to happen. you know but when you have you know it's like joss mm-hmm. whedon always says and you know aaron sorkin and most of the most of the like great tv and film writers yeah. would say like you have to have humor to juxtapose against yeah the dark and sometimes the funniest things happen in the darkest of most times. horrible situations yeah people are trying to cut the tension or people just have dark senses of humor or yeah. that's when the humor sort of can stand out most so yeah. Yeah, no, I think it was really good. And and so, you know, to your point about the conflicts kind of repeating, the other thing we watched was um, F91, which is the movie, which was supposed to be a TV series until it was truncated into a movie, mm-hmm. to a two-hour movie, which takes place about 30 years later. And this is the first one you've seen where, I'm, I'm not wrong. I mean, is this the first one you've seen where Zeon is not the enemy? Some mm-hmm. iteration of Zeon. Although I guess you say Zeta, it was the Titans that were the enemy. But Zeon yeah. even showed up then later yeah, in the exactly. series. Yeah. First story where there's no Zeon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting. So as a movie, I think it probably doesn't work. I, I really, I hadn't seen it before. I, I really enjoyed it, but I think that knowing, so you didn't know it's production history. You didn't know that it was a 13 episode TV series that was condensed into a movie. Yeah. I think in retrospect, it kind of shows, doesn't it? The way characters are introduced so quickly and then sometimes disappear or aren't explained Mm -hmm. and events just happen or sometimes are referred to off screen. Mm -hmm. Um, Characters don't get a ton of development. It's like they come across this Federation ship, the Space Ark. Yep. And then like the next scene, they're part of the crew and they're just like working there. And like, wait, when did this happen? Like there wasn't even a conversation. It's like there probably should have been two or three episodes in there. Mm -hmm. You know, like in all the other series where the civilians have to come to grips with being part of a military military operation to decide whether they want to join the ship or not. Like sometimes that takes half the show, right? Exactly. Like the kids in Double Zeta... It was yeah. like halfway through the show before they actually started to feel like part of the Argama crew, right? Yep. Um, but it's interesting here that – so and you don't really get a lot from the characters. I guess you could say like Cecily yeah. is probably the most developed character. But even then, you don't really get a lot about her character. It's just like she's the one that goes through the most stuff. Yeah. But even then, I wouldn't – like if you had to describe her character, like the whole thing from the Red Letter Media Episode 1 video, right? Like describe her character without saying what her job is or what she looks yeah, like. exactly. And everybody's like, okay, Qui-Gon Jinn, go. And everybody's like – Stern? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, you know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. it's it's tricky when you only have two hours and you've got like 50 characters, right? Like, yeah. I think that they could have done it. I think that they're like, oh, we did all this work on th- on 13 scripts. We've got to pack as much of it in there as possible. When what they should have done is just pared it way back. Yep. Just tell the first third of the story. Mm-hmm. Have it be a successful movie. And yep. then you can do two and three. Don't try to pack like a whole trilogy's worth of story into one movie. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. Um, but I do think it's interesting. There's no Zeon here. It's this um, <coughs> crossbone vanguard that are trying to establish this new 
regime called Cosmo Babylonia. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting that they've got some similarities with Xeon in the sense that they, you know, I think that a lot of the, almost all the conflicts are going to be like Earth versus space. But here, it wasn't so much that these guys didn't really hate the Earth. Yeah. They wanted to... Cleanse there's, it. There's more of like an, a, yeah, there's more of like a eugenics aspect to it here. Although even like with Zeon, like Shar at the end of Shar's counterattack, he was willing to blow basically up. kill yeah. everybody on Earth. Mm-hmm. But that was to, preser- to preserve the Earth. Yeah. These guys don't seem like they really care about the Earth per se, or at least the main villain doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they, they're, I guess you could say they're more of like an, an aristocratic bent. Hmm. The Zeon tended to be like oftentimes more genocidal. These guys are more like, I don't know, there's similarities, right? But the Zob- the Zabi family had like a, an aristocratic bent to them. But the whole yeah. Zeon ethos was all about, okay, space nords, you're the oppressed. Yep. Rise up and claim your birthright. Whereas these guys are like, they don't want the people to rise up. They think that they are the sort of like the aristocratic rulers mm-hmm. who have to protect. It's their, it's their, their destiny to shoulder the burdens of committing genocide so that they can shelter and protect yep. the little people mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. so it's sort of an interesting uh comparison between the two so but again we don't really get we get a little bit of it i found them kind of interesting as villains because of those similarities and differences but we don't really get a lot of no, their, we don't. their really. exact plans and what they want um because you never know i mean they, they didn't really describe why they wanted to annihilate humanity on earth they didn't really describe one way or the other i mean so we can only theorize because honestly what i took away from the mask man's the iron mask uh, man's uh, motivations was actually the other thing i thought that it was like kind of what Shar was saying where um they don't deserve the earth on which they're living because they just don't care well i don't think he cared i don't think the iron mask or whatever they call them called cared about the earth from like an environmentalist perspective yeah exactly, the, the way yeah. that um Shar maybe did. it was slightly different i, don't I, know. I think he, I think he was like, like we've got our chosen few, and everybody else yeah. can go fly a go kite, fly a kite yeah. right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it was. I saw it's too bad the story wasn't continued in future movies the way they hoped it would. There's there's a manga. This is the thing with Gundam. It's like anytime you have a question, like where did this character come from? Consult what, the manga. Are we ever going to see this again? It was like, oh well, you need to read to- Tomino's three volume novelization uh-huh. of his movie screenplay, or you need to read the manga he wrote that continues the story. So there's a manga that takes place ten years later, and it follows a couple of the main characters here and a bunch of other new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and in an interesting way, and that that story has spun off into several other sequels of its own. So the whole oh, cool. was called um, Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam is like almost its own sub franchise yeah. of like like that whole section of the cool. timeline. There's manga and there's novels and there's models as there is with everything. Yeah, um, and there's a big like one of the big fan wishes now that we're fi- now that we got you know um, the origin novels were adopted and adapted into into a series of OVAs about Char's childhood and growing up and now we're getting the Hathaway yeah novels adapted into a movie trilogy the fans really want to see some of that mm-hmm. crossbone stuff animated because it's like there's this whole there's this thing hanging out there you know like there's yeah. there's this loose end to the front and like the middle of the time because like, it is sort of the odd duck of the franchise because you've got all the stuff from like the early Universal Century, all the Xeon stuff, and then this is a generation later. It's the only thing. It's this one movie. It's just considering the animation. And then you jump ahead another generation to Victory Gundam, and it was a long-running TV series. Um, and then there's other stuff they did later that kind of take place around the time of Shars Counterattack, but this is the only, in like a 60-year gap, this is the only animation yeah. that takes place anywhere in this thing. And there's a lot of stuff they could, like, the Federation seems similar yeah in as much as they're still the dominant power but they're still like some of them are warmongers and some of them are corrupt and some of them don't care about the civilians and just you know yeah 
Um, but it like the world the the world is kind of an interesting place because if you if you like pay close attention to the dialogue, it's like for the first time in a long time they've been building or rehabilitating old or disused colonies, and that's why a lot of these this this is what this Cosmo Babylonia is like. These are people that were sort of like the whole thing about forced emigration from Earth is still a thing, but these are people that were like relocated to this colony, and I guess I guess if you read between the lines, a lot of the space that was freed up on earth yeah. is taken by the elites of space that decided like they want to go back to earth so they yeah. got first dibs and all these people are like stranded out there right like kind of forced to kind of firefly style like forced to make a life for themselves and like right these rehab- rehabilitated colonies so they're rife for someone coming along saying hey yeah. you know we want we're going to make you like the chosen few and we're going to actually rule and everything so yeah you know there's not like the high mind evolutionary. I put it this way, like to to, to like compare it to the Zeon thing, mm-hmm. even though the Zabis kind of turned it into a different thing. The whole eponymous Zeon thing was we will evolve and become better and become new types and allow the earth to be reclaimed by nature and so on. There's none of that high minded evolutionary ideals here. It's yeah. just like the strong must rule the weak kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, it's a lot more black and white. Anyway, so I, I enjoyed it as the animation was amazing yeah like, it and then really more in the good. pocket the animation was good too but you mm-hmm. can tell really tell the difference between ova quality animation and movie quality animation yeah um this was just incredibly lush anime- and the character designs were great the mm-hmm. colors were mm-hmm. fantastic um yeah i don't know they re- really from a production perspective it was fantastic it's just too bad that the script couldn't have just lose lose like 50 percent of the characters and of the scenes even right yeah. like yeah you know I don't know, and it would have been much better. But I, it's rare. It's rare in in Gundam for something like this to happen. There's often production difficulties. The next TV series, yeah, Victory Gundam, yeah. had some production difficulties too, but none so much that resulted in it becoming like a Frankenstein. Yeah, <laughs> a cobbled together hodgepodge. That that hardly ever happens. Yeah. You know, once because the series it be, becomes so the franchise becomes so big. Yeah. That at a certain point, Antonio becomes like. A Gene Roddenberry or George Lucas type in terms of his importance so, to the franchise. Yeah, exactly. Um, then nobody's going to come in and tell him, oh, by the way, turn this into a movie instead. He would have too much clout probably within the industry at, at this that point. point. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't at that point yet because the franchise right. was only about 10 years old. Exactly. It wasn't a 40 year old venerable, mm-hmm. you know, classic, so you had to squish classic it all of together. the industry. Yeah. I don't know, but so it's an interesting sort of case study in that way. But I also think if you if you watch it, like if you don't if you don't try to imagine the better movie that it could have been, and you mm-hmm. just like enjoy it. As a spectacle. Yeah. Um, and it's like an interesting... And you know, I actually deliberately asked you not to tell me things behind the scenes. Well, I just So that to, I wouldn't be... So that I could form an opinion just on the material Yeah, I didn't itself. want you to be too hard on it by thinking, well, this is like... This is it a was weird hodgepodge a bit, of a movie. But you want to know something? I mean, I was able to follow along and because yeah, we're so... easier time following it than Charles Counterattack, I think, which was always just intended to well, be a Well, that's because I was also watching it while nursing a migraine. So I think that might have <laughs> had something to do with it. But um, no, but I mean... Because our modern TV sensibilities are used to faster moving plots and kind of things that you sort of have to fill in the blanks on your own in some cases, um, I think that this wasn't so hard to just kind of grasp. Got it. Got it. Got it. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whoa. Yeah. If Wait, you want to understand there? what's going on, but if you want bit, to be but... like emotionally invested in oh. what's happening, you need more slower pace. Well, I mean, I was kind of heartbroken at the beginning and I was definitely heartbroken at the end. So, I mean, but well, I was one very thing has- Gundam is always sad, very good at is making at you feel really bad for characters that are only on screen for about a second yeah, and a half. Yeah. They're really they, good at that. They do just enough with like 
the way those just characters move or like mm-hmm. the one screen that an actor delivers or like like you see a character like sheltering a child or yeah. something like that like yeah. oh like you know and you okay. know it's good guy happen, got it yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone gets killed by like a a shell an empty falling. shell don't falling even from a talk to me about that because like, i had nightmares for days like that's ugh. That's so sad. And the little baby touching her face going, Mama. The baby was Mama. okay. The baby got to the baby was uh, okay, ride around yeah. in a spacesuit. Almost, <laughs> almost got suffocated in a spacesuit. Yeah, the baby will be fine. Yeah. Ugh. It'll grow up to be a powerful new type or something, probably. Great. It's That's series. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, so we're gonna we're probably gonna now that our shows are started back up again and we're getting more comics week to week now. We'll probably slow down with the Gundam stuff, but I think we're gonna jump the timeline a little bit, um, literally to a different timeline and watch. Um, Mobile Fighter G Gundam. Oh boy! Next at a bit of a slower pace because it's the sort of like the the uh, the comfort food. <laughs> I want comfort junk food. food. Might be yeah. a better um, <laughs> Apple, uh, might be a better description actually of the of the franchise and not so much the heavy duty war as hell. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Socio political commentary that some yeah. of these other shows are. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm going to look forward to that one. Yep. Um, yeah. So if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Yay. How about a funny sound for us? Quack. Very nice. <laughs>